Romans 8.1 is another popular verse like we looked at last week, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And what makes this one today so popular is that it is just such great news for those who belong to Christ. And it's one of those things that we need to be reminded about over and over and over. So let's stand together and look at what this great truth is here in Romans 8.1 and 2. Paul's writing and he simply says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, just for the incredible news that is contained in your word here that we're going to be looking at, God. And I pray by your Holy Spirit you would open our eyes to see it for what it really is. Lord, let us see that there is something powerful, something miraculous, something life-changing about the name of Jesus. Lord, let us have a fresh and new understanding of what he has done and who we are in him. Let us see Jesus this morning and be impacted by the unbelievable love of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, once again, Paul starts uh, Romans 8 with the word, therefore, and as I've stated before, you won't really be able to understand what comes after a therefore unless you know what came before it. And so let's just spend a minute um, talking about what Paul said in chapter 7. In chapter 7, Paul is talking about the law. The Old Testament law, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, however you want to say it. And in the first part of the chapter, he's explaining how the law has jurisdiction over everyone. Jurisdiction means the territory over which one has authority, control, and power. Being under the jurisdiction of the law means that it is the standard by which all of mankind will be judged, which is terribly bad news because it is impossible to live up to. The standard of the law is a ruthless standard, meaning there is no wiggle room. There are no loopholes. It doesn't grade on a curve. It doesn't take individual situations into account. It doesn't care how hard you tried to follow it, nor does it care how your efforts compare to someone else's. James said that whoever is guilty of breaking just one small part of the law is guilty of breaking the entire thing. And what that means is if you get to the end of your life and you have lived such a good life that you have kept all of the laws except for just one, you're going to stand before God and be found just as guilty and suffer just as severe as punishment as someone who has broken all of them. And then Paul uses the analogy later in the chapter of death and marriage. He's explaining how as long as uh, a woman's husband is living, she is bound to him in that marriage covenant. If he is still living and she goes and marries someone else, of course, she commits adultery. And he says that the only way for her to be released from her husband is if he dies. And once he dies, she is now free to marry um, anyone else. 
he uses that to explain how the law works the same way. He says the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as that person lives. The law can't be killed. And so the only way to be released from it is if you die. But then he's not talking about a physical death. He's talking about spiritual death because he says that the law is a spiritual thing. And then he says that's exactly what happens the moment that someone puts their trust in Jesus for salvation. In verse 4 he says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. Last week we looked at what it means to be in Christ and I listed four things that I said are going on when those two words are mentioned. And we saw that in Christ means that you belong to Christ. It means that you inhabit the sphere of power of Christ. It means you have the attributes of Christ and it means that you are a part of his body. But here in Romans 7, we find yet another meaning of what it means to be in Christ. It means that you are no longer under the jurisdiction of the law. You are now under a different, a new jurisdiction. Now, get this. In no way does that mean that God now allows for his law to be broken. It doesn't mean that. He cannot allow that. The requirement to fulfill the law is still there. But the good news for those of us who belong to Jesus is that he fulfilled it for you. To be in Christ means that in your case, when you are standing before God and you have been saved by the blood of Jesus and he is going to judge everybody whether how they compare to live up to the law, he's going to look at you and go, Law has been fulfilled in this one. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are in. Because you are in Jesus. Look in Romans 8, starting in verse 3, what he says about it. He says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. How did he do it? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that right there just gives us another glimpse of the immensity of God's grace. Because not only did Jesus pay your penalty for breaking the law, but then he went and fulfilled it for you. That is amazing. me. And then Paul goes on in chapter 7 to explain why this is such a big deal, why it is important to be out from under the jurisdiction of the law. Why is the law impossible to live up to? And he says it's because the law actually arouses our sinful passions. But then he makes it clear that that doesn't mean that the law itself is sinful. He says, no, the law is a good thing because it exposes our sin and shows us our absolute need of a Savior. I mean, that was the whole purpose of God giving us the law in the first place, to show us how utterly sinful we are and that we needed someone to save us. When we went through the whole book of Romans a couple years ago, I explained how the law works a lot like um, when you 
someone pours water on a grease fire. So water itself is a good thing. It is life-giving. But if you have a small grease fire and it's just contained within the pan that's holding that grease, as soon as you take water and pour it on that, that small fire is going to turn into an inferno and burn the whole house down. In the same way, the law is a good thing. But when it comes into contact with our sinful nature... It arouses our sin and amplifies and magnifies it. Paul would say in verse 7 and 8 that the command, Thou shalt not covet, produced in me coveting of every kind. Just made me want to covet all the more. And then in the last half of chapter 7, Paul describes how miserable and frustrating life is when it's, when it's tried to, to be lived by the law trying to live up to it. He says that when you try to earn God's favor by obeying all the commands of the law, all it does is cause you to do the very things that you don't want to do and causes you to not do the things that you do want to do. He's essentially saying the harder I tried to do good, the more guilty I was for being bad. And that can only lead to one conclusion about yourself, which he says in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul came to the conclusion that the law exposed his sinful nature of how rotten and how depraved he really was. And it didn't matter how hard he tried to be good because the worse he actually got. And then that led to his next statement. Who will save me from this body of death? He realized that if there was no amount of good that he could do, then his situation was hopeless. And he needed somebody to come save him from himself, essentially. And then he answers that in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. All of this is what came before the therefore in verse 1 of chapter 8. And so the therefore means since Jesus has removed you out from under the jurisdiction of the law, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so look at this. This will be up on the screens here if you're taking notes. Under the jurisdiction of the law. We stand condemned, sin is aroused, and death is imminent. I'm talking about physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death over and over and over again for eternity. That's our condition under the jurisdiction of the law. But Jesus rescues us out from under that jurisdiction and places us under his. We are now under the jurisdiction of Jesus. Some of you might be thinking, well, I still break the law. I still sin. Are there no consequences for that now? Is that what you're saying? No. There are consequences, but there is no condemnation. There's a big difference between those two words. The Greek word used here that's translated into condemnation literally means damnatory sentence. Under the jurisdiction of the law, 
you are facing a damnatory sentence, meaning you are headed straight for hell. You know, people often ask, well, what do I have to do in order to go to hell? And I say, absolutely nothing, because you were born headed there. <laughs> Why is that? Because we all come into this world under the jurisdiction of the law. But when Jesus saves you, you are removed from that jurisdiction, which means that you are no longer under that sentence. And when it comes to the verdict against your sin, you are pardoned. That doesn't mean you didn't do it. It means you did it, but you're pardoned. A pardon is only necessary when there's an offense that's been committed. It also doesn't mean that your, those sins weren't paid for. God wouldn't be a God of justice if he allowed sin to go unpaid. But it was paid for by Jesus at the cross. But just because the guilt of your sins have been pardoned does not mean that there won't be any consequences for when you do now. Here's a good analogy. Since we are right now in the state of Texas... We are under the jurisdiction of the laws of Texas. And so if we break one of the laws of Texas, we are going to be condemned for that and we will have to pay for it if we get caught. One of the laws of Texas says that it is illegal to smoke marijuana. If you smoke marijuana in Texas and you get caught, you will be condemned and have to pay for that. But if I leave Texas and go to Colorado... I am now out from under the jurisdiction of Texas, and I am now under the jurisdiction of the law of Colorado. And we all know that Colorado has now made smoking marijuana legal. So I can do it there and not be condemned. I'm free to do it. But just because it's legal, does that mean that it's good for me? No. Even though it's legal and I'm free to do it and I'm not going to be condemned, there will still be consequences for that. My mind will be impaired. My lungs will be damaged from the smoke. There are all kinds of consequences to that, even though it's perfectly legal to do it. This past September, I was uh, elk hunting with Donald and Scott Shaver in Colorado, and we were talking to some local guys there. And asking them how things have changed since that law went into effect. And he said, I know everything you hear on TV is that it's changed things for the good. He said, but crime has increased big time. One of them was friends with a, a local DA there in the part of Colorado that we are at. And she told him that there's one crime in particular that has just gone through the roof that they weren't expecting. And it was a crime of child neglect. And I'm like, why is that? And he said, because parents are getting so stoned out of their mind that they sit there and forget about what their kids are doing. And their kids are wandering out of the house. They're getting hurt. They're getting into accidents. They're just being neglected because mom and dad are getting stoned and spending all their money on pot. And his DA went to the, the, the legislature and said, this is going on. Our children are suffering from this. And they told her, keep that quiet. We're bringing in too much money right now. And so when people tell you that marijuana is harmless, don't believe it. 
Because there's a lot of little children that are suffering in Colorado because of it right now. But it's legal. But that doesn't remove, mean that it removes the consequences. In the same way with sin now, for us, under the jurisdiction of Christ, the legal consequences of sin have already been paid for, but there are, are still other consequences. It can damage your relationship with others. It can fracture your family. It can affect your health. It can put you in jail. Many, many other things, not to mention that it gives a very distorted reflection of who you are in Christ. It prevents you from reflecting His glory. But none of that has anything to do with your standing with God. None of that changes your position and who you are in Christ. This is what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 10.23 when he said, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. A lot of times I believe that we mistake consequences for condemnation and assume that the consequences that we are experiencing for something that we have done is God's condemning punishment on us. But if you are in Christ, you can't have both. You can't have consequences and condemnation. Because if you could, then Romans 8.1 would not be true. Either Jesus paid for your sin in full or he didn't. And so for you to believe that God is now punishing you for something that you have done is to say that Jesus' payment for your sin was only a partial payment. And now you've got to pay some on it as well. Or, and here's what some people believe, that he paid for all of your sins up to the point where you were saved, but then you've got to pay for the sins that you commit after that. That's just silly. There is absolutely nothing in God's word that supports that theology. In fact, Romans Hebrew, I mean Hebrews 11:12 says that Jesus offered one sacrifice for all sin. All in the Greek there means all. <laughs> Past, present, future. All of it. Okay, so now we know what it means to be under the jurisdiction of the law, but what exactly does it mean for us to be under the jurisdiction of Christ? Well, it means everything that we said was included when we talked about what it means to be in Christ, but here's the most amazing thing of all to me. How many of you, when you were younger, <clears throat> or maybe even recently because it's still fun, have ever burned something with a magnifying glass? Anybody ever done that? Either a bug, an army man, your younger sibling. <laughs> you aim it towards the sun and you angle it in such a way that the light focuses down on one tiny spot. And that light is so concentrated in that one spot that it gets hot enough to burn something. Right in that spot, the sun's light is brighter and hotter than it is anywhere else around you. And so if you take your hand and place it anywhere outside of that magnifying glass, you're still going to receive the sun's light. You're still going to feel the warmth on your hand. 
But if you place it under that magnifying glass, in that place where the light is concentrated most, you're not going to be able to hold it there very long because it is going to burn you. Because right there is where the sun's light is most potent, where it is most intense. And I got to thinking about this in relation to God's love. And I thought, is there one place where God's love is most potent? Where it is more intense there than it is anywhere else? And I realized, yes, there is a place. And it's in his son. It's in Jesus You see, apart from Christ, everyone can still experience God's love, at least to some extent. It's in the beauty of nature around us. It's in a good night's sleep. It's in the ability to fall in love with someone and have someone love you back. I mean, just the simple fact that God allows us to breathe his air is an element of his love at work. But in Jesus... It's a whole different story because that is where God's love is most intensified and most potent. It's where his love is the strongest. And so think about what that means. That means that if you belong to Christ, God has placed you where his love is most potent. He has placed you where his love is most intense in Christ. And so, up on the screens again, to be under the jurisdiction of Christ means to be in the most intensely focused place of God's love. If you're in Christ, you are there. To be under the jurisdiction of Christ means that you're in a place where God cannot possibly love you anymore, nor love you any less. And when you realize that and experience the intensity of that love, I'm telling you, it absolutely changes you. You know, I've talked before about how Some people are wary of the pure message of grace because they are afraid that some might take it as a license or an excuse to sin. And really, I mean, by looking at it with our own human logic, it would seem to kind of make sense. I mean, if I'm brought out from under the jurisdiction of the law and I'm no longer held to that standard anymore, then woohoo, I'm free to break it, right? Yeah, there's going to be consequences, but, I mean, I'm still good with God. His forgiveness is still there, so, man, it's time to let loose and have some fun, right? But that goes completely against what Paul says about the law in Romans 7. He does not say being set free from the law will arouse your sinful desires. He says it's actually being under the law and trying to live by the law that's going to arouse your sinful desires. In verse 9, he says, but when the commandment came, sin became alive. If there is a danger in preaching too much grace because some people might use it as an excuse to sin, then what's the alternative? I mean, what's, what's the only other option? 
it would be to preach law or to mix a little law into it. That's a little too much grace. We need to throw a little law in there. We need to balance things out like people like to say. Do this. Don't do that. Pile on some guilt in there, et cetera, et cetera. Do you see how ironic and backwards this is now? In order to keep people from sinning, let's preach the very thing that Paul says is going to arouse sin all the more. It doesn't make sense. And so the Bible says that the law arouses sin, but it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Repentance is turning away from sin. And God's kindness is experienced in his grace. This is how crazy religion is because it flips those two things around. And it says that it is afraid that the very thing that the Bible says is going to lead us to repentance is going to cause people to want to sin more. And so to keep them from sinning, they're going to use the very thing that Paul says arouses sin all the more. That's crazy. It goes completely against God's word. The Bible does address using grace as a license to sin. It says in Jude 1.4 that those who do that are ungodly persons who have been marked out for this condemnation long beforehand. It says, yeah, there's going to be some that use grace as a license to sin, but that's an indicator right right there that they do not know Jesus. It's the lost who are going to do that, not the saved. There was a sociological experiment that was done several years back. And when I say several years, I'm only talking about the time when people actually used payphones, which now seems like ancient times, but it really wasn't that long ago. And so what they did was they, they set this camera up in front of a, a payphone booth, and they wanted to film people's reaction when they came out of that booth because they had this lady that was working um, with these uh, sociologists, and she would be carrying a load of books or papers in her arm. And as soon as the person came out of the booth, she would drop them there. And they wanted to document how many people actually stopped and helped her pick all these things up. Well, they kept the camera there all day long. And in all the people that came out of that booth, there was only one that actually stopped and helped her pick her things up. Had to be in New York and not Texas, right? One of the things they noticed in their study was that there was one thing that every person did when they walked into that phone booth. I'm sure you could guess it. It's what we all did when we walked into a phone booth. The very first thing, we checked the coin slot, see if anybody had left a quarter there, right? They noticed that every single person did that. And they said, all right, well, let's change the experiment up a little bit. And so they would go in and place a quarter in there. And so now every time that someone went in there and checked the coin slot, there'd be a quarter in there, and they wanted to see if that changed the results of their study any. At the end of the day that they did that, 90% of the people who came out of that booth stopped and helped the woman with her things. Each person who went into that phone booth found something and received something that they didn't earn, that they didn't deserve, was just a free gift of something good, and it caused a marked change in their behavior for the good. Why? Because this is the way that God wired us. 
so that we would respond to his grace in such a way? His grace is what changes us. It's his love that transforms us into a new creation. I remember the first time that I experienced the intensity of his love in a way that changed me forever. Many of you have heard my testimony and how I ran from God for years, just rejecting him and living a life of just wild, worldly living. But the day that the Holy Spirit woke me up to the reality of Christ and my sin and my absolute need of him, I was in a church that I walked down the aisle of and came down to the front, and I tell you, I was walking down to the front of that church essentially with my tail between my legs because knowing that all I had done and how much I had rejected and belittled God, I went down there expecting condemnation. But when I got down there and I told God that I was surrendering everything to him, that he now had all of me, at that moment, he placed me where his love is strongest and most intense, which is in Christ. And I always describe that moment as feeling just like I was standing under a hot shower after being out in the cold all day long as his love and his grace and his mercy just washed over me in such an overwhelming way that completely broke me. And it was that love of the Father, that unexpected, undeserved love of the Father that changed me completely into the person that I am today. It was his love. There's some of you here today who I believe have never experienced God's love in the intense way that he wants you to. There's several reasons for that. Either it's because you have not fully given yourself to Jesus. He's just an accessory to your life. He's not the center of it. You haven't put all your trust in him. You're still living life your own way. Or it's because you've believed the lie that he can't love you like that. You don't deserve that kind of love. You're not good enough. Or because you're still trying to earn his love through your good behavior. You're still living according to the law. This morning he wants you to realize that he has placed you where his love is most intense. And it has absolutely nothing to do with you and everything to do with him and what he has done. Will you receive his love that he wants to shower you with today? Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking you right now to just bring someone here this morning into the reality of your amazing grace, of your magnificent love. 
Lord, I pray somebody here today would, for the first time in their life, feel as if they had been placed under your magnifying glass and your love is being focused down on them in such an intense way that it's burning out all of self and sin and the lies that they have bought into for so long. And Lord, your love would just wreck them change them forever Lord thank you for the reminder of what you have done thank you for the reminder of what you have set us free from and what you have saved us to Lord I pray that it would be from that that we just live every day of our lives but your word says that we love you because you first loved us Lord help us to extend that love to others because God if that's true if you really have placed us in the spot where your love is strongest and most intense then that changes things that changes things so Lord help us to live from your love In Jesus' name I pray, amen.